and welcome to another episode of the Big Footy Tiger Cast. I'm your host, Michaels, and with me today, we've got two guests who attended the Player Sponsor Dinner last week, so we're going to hear some great stories from them. Um, first of all, we'll welcome back Sturge. Welcome back to your second time on the show. Thanks, Michaels. Thanks for having me back, mate, and thanks, everyone, for listening. No worries at all. And our second guest tonight has been a Big Footy member since 2009. Welcome to you, RFC Tiger 74. Thanks, and good day, everyone. And I know we, we've not, we know a bit about your background, Sturge, so we'll skip you and go straight to RFC Tiger. How did you become a Richmond supporter? My family's actually been uh, Richmond supporters for about four generations now. My great-grandparents actually grew up in Richmond with um, all the women in the family working at the knitting mill. You actually pass at Richmond Station. So it's sort of carried through the generations. And... Um, Grandma Barrack for Richmond, Dad Barrack for Richmond, I Barrack for Richmond, and now the Dog Barracks for Richmond. So a lot of tiger blood in our family. Oh, that's what we like to hear. Got to love the pet membership as well. Just doing a Hawthorne, <laughs> bump the numbers up. <laughs> yep. Now she's got her own scarf, so she's definitely a tiger. Oh, very nice. Okay, we'll start off with the autopsy play of the year vote update. So this is as of round 17. So the votes were collated and... With five votes this week was Dusty, Cochin got four votes, Rewalt got three, Prestia got two, and Butler got one. So the, the updated leaderboard in fifth spot, Toby Nankervis on 14 votes. Equal fourth is Kane Lambert and Jack Rewalt on 15 votes. In third place, Trent Cochin on 34 votes. Second place, Alex Rance on 36 votes. And extending his lead in first place is Dusty Martin on 53 votes. Does um, do the, the 5 4 3 2 1 sit? pretty well right with you guys i um look dusty you know he had a million touches and he had um like 15 clearances or something and got the best of a bloke trying to scrag him all day but um like i posted in the autopsy thread and you look at it like brandon ellis had more effective possessions than him so you know he's dusty's good but you know he, he as weird as it sounds he could be better like, there's just, you know, he could, if he's a little bit more um, used it a little bit better. Uh, and, you know, he does really good things, but, you know, I would have had Prestia higher. I probably, I had Brandon Ellis in the votes, I think. Um, I think Prestia was really good for all the crap he gets on the board. Um, he had a really good game, probably one of his best all season. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure we're touching it after, but I, I thought Dusty turned it over quite a bit in the first half. Uh, but what about you, RFC Tiger? How did you find those votes? Do they kind of fit into where you thought they might? Pretty much where I had it. Um, Martin, for me, was a no-brainer. He was, and I was talking with others at halftime, he was um, almost a non-entity. It was looking like it was going to be one of his worst games of the year. And then at three-quarter time, he just went into beast mode and he completely and utterly dominated. And I think it was something like 15 possessions in that third quarter and no one could stop him. And he he completely turned the game around and got us back into the position we're at. Um, Cochin just continues the great form he's had throughout the year. And contrary to some of the um, discussion that's been going on over the last couple of days, the Prestia role, yes, it was a tagging role, but Zorko has been destroying um, clubs throughout the year in a very weak and a consistently losing Brisbane side. Um, you look at the uh, um, team of the round, Zorko's almost always listed in that team yet, um, not even rated this week. So I think Prestia definitely deserves some kudos for what was an excellent job and still getting 19 possessions out of it. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, to be honest, the only time I really noticed Sorko was when he kicked that goal. Outside of that, I, I didn't really see him. And the goal was bloody Shane Edwards' fault anyway, wasn't it? You can't even oh, put that goal ball. on Prestia. Yeah. That was, and like as RFC said, um, Zorko got something like 36 and four goals last week. So to keep him to what, like 11 and one goal that wasn't Prestia's fault, that was a great day out. It and was. I think... And I think the 19 possessions is important because it wasn't the, you know, cliche Tony Liberatore sort of tagging role where you get, you know, half a dozen possessions. You contribute nothing to the team, but you're a pure negator. He's gotten 19 possessions. He contributed um, to the midfield work, yet he completely eliminated Zorko from play. So um, I thought he had a fantastic day. And hopefully this is not necessarily in this specific role, but we start seeing more of this. And, 
The other element, of course, that a lot of people like him playing that role allows Miles into the side with the two of them together in a more permanent role moving forward, hopefully. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on it after, but I think it's something we can persist with. Uh, we'll move on to the first segment of the Roast and Toast. So, RFC Tiger, we'll start with you. You've been assigned the roast for the week, so who are you going to roast? My roast is a um, bit of an odd one, which is complacency, because we seem to have this issue at Richmond where whenever we think we're comfortable, we're relaxed, and the win is in the bag or whatever – we take our foot off the gas and we start doing a lot of errors. And it's been a problem this year. And I'm not talking about dropping marks under pressure or um, missing a goal when you've got someone on your hammer. Just obvious stuff like a kick-to-kick type chest mark, we are dropping them. Of course, that caddy effort in front of goal a couple of weeks ago. It just seems whenever the guys get comfortable, they just lose the plot and have some appalling skills. And then, of course, as the old cliche we've had at the club for a while, the games that we're supposed to win, and this is a good example, we should have been looking at a you know five to ten goal win quite comfortably. Um, we just seem to struggle to get out of second gear all the time, and I'm not sure what it is down at Richmond, whether it's a cultural thing or whether it's a coaching thing or a player leadership thing but we just seem to take the foot off the accelerator and until we hit panic mode we really struggle to get our act together which is really frustrating because in a year that um, where percentage is at a premium it's just bizarre that we would do that and i think we kicked the first goal within the first 30 seconds and i'm sure all of us were thinking all right we're on today but then what followed was just pretty ordinary football to be honest so I think you are right with the complacency and the, you know the basic areas like you said with Jack hitting the post from 25 out Castagna kicking it into the man on the mark it's like they're pretty elementary things that just shouldn't happen and more concerning is approaching finals if you look at those three exits we had and of course the most notorious one was that bloody Carlton loss we thought we had it in the bag we were close to celebrating and then we um sort of cashed our chips way too early and Carlton took advantage of it. And given how even this season is, where you've basically got fourth all the way down to 14 within points of each other and all still seriously contending for the eight, if we drop two games that are must-wins, we can still possibly miss the eight and then we're back to looking at what the heck happened again. So I really hope it's something the club address, because if we don't want to just be a contender, but someone who can do some damage in September, we've got to win these must-wins and we've got to win them comfortably, but also we can't be coughing up the ball as simply as we are doing at the moment. Yeah, and I suppose the other thing as well is with a youngish team and the change of game plan, I kind of don't mind if the occasional turnover happens from us taking a risk, if it means we're trying to make an attacking move. But like you said, sometimes it was just the sideways kicks and the errant handballs that you know, ultimately cost us goals. So we definitely have to get that out of the game pretty quickly. And Sturge, you're responsible for the toast this week. So who are you toasting? Yeah, so I'm going to toast a bloke for roasting some different blokes. Um, I'm actually going to toast Tom Jonas from Port Adelaide, who uh, penned an article on a website aflplayers.com.au and it's the player's voice Tom Jonas and he's talking about the professionalism of the AFL media and he goes on to make some fair examples of you know uh, TV commentators interviewing a bloke and calling him by the wrong name because they forgot who they're interviewing um, people in, in the media not doing basic uh research and knowing you know how long people have been out on in, injured and you know what people have been been doing with their careers that kind of stuff and you know we all we all notice it's been brought up on the richmond board plenty of times how often do you see um a picture in a news article where they got the player's name wrong or the pictures from six seven seasons ago um and it's not even against the same team that they're talking about in the article or you know the commentators just calling flat out the wrong name and they, it seems like they don't even realize um what that they've made a mistake and you know you look at sports like um 
the EPL, you get one commentator calls the whole game. You get maybe one bloke for special comments. And then in the AFL, you've got two commentators, two or three special comments blokes, one or two blokes on the boundary, and they're all trying to be mates. And, you know, Feeney's right in a way. Their professionalism is just unacceptable because they're too busy giving jobs to their mates and ex-players rather than um, giving it to the people that are actually going to do a good job. I think I remember watching one game. I reckon it was Luke Darcy. We had the ball in our back line. I think Camden McIntosh made about three or four really good efforts. And all four times, he called him Kane Lambert. And no one pulled him up on it. It's like, how can you get that wrong? Uh, and I, I agree with Jonas 100%. And I've thought this for a while. But the media are literally not held accountable for anything, whether it's getting names wrong in articles or commentary or blatantly making up stories to create a headline and sell a paper. Uh, I just I don't think that's acceptable. And I'm, I'm really waiting for the day for a player to potentially take legal action um, for just yeah, journos making up utter crap. It's just not on. Well, you look at um, um, the St Kilda game and when memory cleaned up Grimes and one of the chuckleheads in the box is like, oh, Grimes is going to have no memory of that one. I'm like, that's ridiculous. They're all slapping each other on the back rather than calling the game properly and trying to make stupid jokes. One of the other yeah. things I think is worth um, pointing out too um, from the journo side of things, um, two examples I'd bring up are, first of all, Damian Barrett with the whole Dustin Martin thing, where he comes out and says the manager is basically holding a grudge from five years ago and he's out to make Richmond pay. You have the manager come out and say it's garbage. You have the club come out and say it's garbage. And then Barrett comes onto his podcast and says, oh, no, I acknowledge they've all said it's wrong, but I'm still right. Um, there's no even when these guys get proven wrong, there's no back down. And one that surprised me um, this evening on um, 3AW, they had Caroline Wilson um, talking about the whole AFL saga going on at the moment. And the journos actually pointed out that on um, Saturday morning, she was saying um, what a wonderful job Gillan McLaughlin had done and how it was a sign of his leadership, how quickly he handled it. And then on Monday, she's saying that he's in crisis and things are falling apart. And they asked her, you know, how can you change your tune just in the matter of days? And she goes, oh, I was writing both articles. Um, there's just no consistency. And it's a lot of the time, it's just articles now to get attention. And there's no ownership of the message or the truth that you're allegedly trying to put behind it. And, and the media wonder why players and coaches are reluctant to give them, you know, good amounts of time. And they crack the sads about that. They don't have the, the good access. Well, don't write shit about everyone and not put your hand up when you get something wrong. And people might start respecting you more and give you the time to have a chat. Yeah, no, um, Absolutely. I've got a quick roast as well. This one popped up, I think, last week. Uh, junior football, I've coached junior football for about 10 or 12 years now, and it's 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 such a, a great thing to do, and it's pretty rewarding to see the kids you know, develop and grow. But the Riddle District Football League have now introduced a cap on winning margins in all games between under-12s and under-16s. So what that will mean is the games will, will play, but once a margin hits a certain point, the scoreboard stops as it is, but the game will carry on with no additional score until the, the full time's up. So the cap for under 16s is 80 points, for under 14s it's 60 points, and for under 12s it's 48 points. Now, potentially some of those games, depending on who's playing, could be over in a quarter, quarter and a half. Um, and I, I get what they're trying to do by keeping people or kids in the game because they don't want teams to have blowout. But for me, it's more about the league managing what teams are in what division and getting their grading right as opposed to putting a cap on the margin. Uh, and at the end of the day, the kids know they've been smashed one way or another. And kids have got to learn to win and they've got to learn to lose and they've got to learn to deal with that kind of stuff and, and try to get better. So I just don't think by babying them like that is a good step forward, despite their best intentions. I was going to say, they've been trying to do this for a number of years at lower levels where they say, you know, we don't do scores anymore, just go out there and have fun. Um, but it's the old joke, you can pull any kid off the ground and go, what's the score? And you'll say it without even blinking. The kids yep. all know what the score is. The kids know who the winners are. But I think the bigger issue, the one that you point out, is equalising the leagues so that you've got a balanced competition and you don't have one or two Uber sides who are just destroying it for everyone else. And I know it's becoming a big issue in the girls' competitions as well. Yeah, um, yeah. They've made some very mid-season 
adjustments in a number of the competitions across the um, country this year because they're finding some teams are winning by you know triple figures every week and others you know got some that can't even score a goal. So I think, as you say, it's about um, the management of the leagues actually looking at the talent available, making sure they've got fair support for the teams and giving them what they need to at least make it fun for the kids so they can go out and enjoy things rather than these sort of reactionary decisions. And I know all leagues do it differently, uh, but the league I was in, the biggest problem we had is they gave too much control about where your team played in in terms of a division to the clubs. So we'd pretty much play four preseason games and depending on the result of those would depend on what would be the outcome of where you play in which division. So teams would naturally go out there and start tanking. And it's sad that it happens in junior footy, but the good teams would, you know, win one game, lose a couple of games, get put down in the second division, and then knowing they're going to smash everyone by 15 plus goals every week. Um, So I think the only real solution, I'd like to see the league just have some balls and step up and say, based on last year's results, you're in this division, you're in that division. Um, I know kids change clubs and things like that, but they can't be putting that kind of thing into the club's hands when it can be so easily manipulated. Yeah, 100%. And like you were saying, RFC, you know, especially in under-16s, you think even if they stop the scoreboard at an 80-point margin, you think a 15- or a 16-year-old isn't going to be getting stuck in or, oh, it's at 100 points now, oh, it's at 120 points. Like, they know exactly what's going on. Everyone knows what the score is. Change stopping the scoreboard isn't going to stop anything. No, and, one thing to, and one thing to consider on this where it does become a little bit more serious is with the um, junior academies, like what Richmond will be running across northern Victoria for um, multicultural and Indigenous players, you're not looking at the um, under-17s and under-18s, of course. It's about looking at the under-12s to the under-15s and how those leagues perform, how they're resourced is going to be very important to developing the pathways we want for those players and having these sort of mechanisms where you've got certain club officials corrupting outcomes of the leagues just so that they can dominate, as um, Michaels was saying before, or counter to that, kids getting disenchanted because they don't want to rock up and get pantsed every week in a you know effectively a fixed fixture. Um, it's not good enough. And the AFL and support that they give those lesser leagues that definitely has to be um, looked at and come up with a much better long-term solution. Look, and it's not going to be an easy one to fix, but no. hopefully the, all the leagues around the country can get that formula right because yeah, we do want to have player retention and create those pathways, like you said. So hopefully they get it right in the long run. Well, uh, we'll move on to the review of the Brisbane game. So Richmond 16, 16, 112 defeated Brisbane 12, 981. So we got up by 31 points as we touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, we started off pretty well with a goal within the first minute. Things were looking up, but it all started to fall away pretty quickly after that. Uh, a lot of costly turnovers, and we just coughed up some pretty easy goals. Um, what, what were your overall thoughts on the game, RFC? It was ugly footy. Um, bitterly cold, as anyone who was there on the day would know. Oh, so you weren't, com- you weren't comfortable to begin with, and it was just horrid football to watch. It was only in that third quarter when the Dustin Martin show sort of got into full gear. It became entertaining, but um, the skills were deplorable. They definitely brought it down to their level. That being said, we did what was needed to be done. Um, our midfield did its job. Um, Prestia stood up, um, took a very important role, and um, then you had the lesser lights, um, such as Soldo and Broad, um, amongst others, who showed that while they weren't standouts, they did their role, they did it effectively, and we may have something there in those two. And we brought in Soldo to play that ruck role, which allowed Nan Curvis to play it forward a lot more. Did you think that played a a big part in... I suppose, the final outcome of the match, and do you think it's sustainable? I think it's worked quite well because um, someone actually pointed it out that it allowed – Soldo's stats for the first half were actually pretty good, and then he was basically exhausted and fell off the cliff after that. But what it allowed was Nate Curvis to pretty much stay up forward, do his thing, and then come in. And the big thing that we're all worried about is Nate getting smashed, playing 80 to 90% time in the ruck. 
I'm almost to the point where keeping Soldo in, if he can play that similar role where he just goes in as the battering ram, wears out the opposition ruckman, takes enough of the hits until it is juiced, then you bring in Nank to roll over the top. I think that may be enough while we've got this patchwork second tall arrangement going on to um, give Nank the, um, how can I say, the longevity he needs to last a finals campaign. I agree. And, you, and the stats don't lie. We won the clearances 41 to 26. And I was paying quite close attention to how Soldo went against Martin because I rate Steph Martin as a really good ruckman. And he was, you know, giving our midfielders some pretty good service. So you can't ask for much more than that. And like you said, if it allows Nate to conserve energy in the first half, at least we're going to get some something good out of him for the second half. And, and that's Soldo, yeah. and Soldo's tank's only going to get better the more games he plays. I know he's still raw, but he's looking pretty good with his tap work. And that's the trade-off. Like, the reality is we've only got one other option um, right now, which is Alton. Now, Alton's better forward, but he's not as good as Ruck. So for me, the question comes, do we need someone who can play up forward for the majority of the game more than we need someone who can absorb that damage in the Ruck? And right now, for me, given how dependent we are upon um, Nankervis in the Ruck, um, I'm leaning towards keeping Soldo in that side just so we can keep Nank doing what he's doing. Yeah, we agree. And Nathan Broad was another player I want to talk about. Sturge, what did you make of Nathan Broad's game? Um, yeah, he was all right. Like, I didn't notice him a lot, but, um, you know, you didn't notice any major mistakes, so it was good to – it's good that we've got these guys that now can step up from the VFL and, you know, you don't really – you're not noticing them. You're not going, oh, He's going to be gone again next week because he's no good. You know they're they're doing they're playing their part, and they're doing a decent job of it. Um, and what about Grimes? How did you see his game after his knock last week? There's a few times I saw him put his body on the line, and I, I, he's just one of my favourite players when he does things like that. Oh look, he's hard as a cat's head, and you know RFC would have seen him. He still had a fair shiner on Tuesday night at yep. the dinner, so he um. He's just he does his job, and now that touch wood is stopped with you know, the soft tissue injuries, that kind of stuff, we're seeing we're seeing the best of him. And you know, I think a couple of seasons ago, a lot of people would have said um, that his brother would have been the best one in the family, but by miles now, Dylan is by far and away the best Grimes to play AFL. Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, and although we did bring in uh, Soldo as the other tall, I don't think we lost too much in terms of our front half pressure with our smalls. How do you think that still played out, RFC? Um, I think it was a bit hit and miss with the smalls. Um, Butler was fantastic. Um, he was back to the form we were seeing a few weeks ago. So um, it was really good to see him dominate the game the way he did. Um, Castagna... Um, the disposal can be frustrating at time. Um, some of the errors he was doing where, and, you know, we were saying you can forgive the running gun errors, but he's just racking up far too many for me. But you counter that with um, Rioli, who, who's the other one who, he looked good for me in the first half, but then he, I barely noticed him in the second half. He, um, just seemed to disappear, and I don't know if it's the fatigue catching up, but they I suspect he needs saying, a rest. They were saying a lot on the TV that he looked like he was um, carrying an injury, he just was missing a yard of pace, and you could see that on the TV. I don't know if you could see it at the ground, but it's definitely obvious that you know, in short bursts he could really get up to it. Like there was that one goal he set up where he chased the ball down and dived oh, and that, tapped man, that it was back. fantastic. He, he could do that in short bursts, but just throughout the whole game he just he didn't look like he was 100% and I think a lot of them look like that but um and also it's good that there's those blokes in the VFL you know um that are kicking goals and we should be rotating as we've said on previous episodes we should be rotating those smalls through since we have so and many I think that's and I think that's one of the um benefits of having the um full man small forward lineup where you had Edwards and you had Butler, both had good games, which means you can cover Castagna and um, Rioli having a down game and we're not reliant 
on one or two guys to carry that. And if they fall off, suddenly all we've got up there is tall timber and no speed. So generally they've done pretty well at covering each other when a couple have a bad day. And I think it was same here. And, but as you say, enough have done well in the reserves that when we come to that discussion, I, we've got options. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. Uh, I'll finish off. There was a, a post in the autopsy thread that I, I thought summed up the game pretty well. It was by ride clutch. And the post was, Koch with a nice captain's reply after his bad game last week. Well, well, the team had a bad game, really, not just him. And really enjoyed having Flossie back in the side. We just looked slightly more solid with another experienced player. I thought Brisbane were good at times, but unfortunately, we were still incredibly wasteful in front of goal and overused the footy. I don't think you'll find anyone that will disagree with that whatsoever. Not at all. All right, we'll move on to the topics to discuss. Um, and as we mentioned off, off the top, you both attended the player sponsors dinner, which was on last Tuesday. So for those who aren't aware, as a board, we sponsor Basher Hooley, Camden McIntosh, Jaden Short and Connor Energy, uh, which is a really great initiative by the board. So I'll start with you, RFC Tiger. What, what was this night all about and how did you go and what stories do you have? Okay, um, just to explain how the membership works to some of the people who may be new to the board and not fully aware, it's a Richmond um, Football Club membership where um, for a particular price, you essentially sponsor the player for the year. Now, the big difference that comes with that, and this is one that um, Sturge and others who have gone previous years will have seen, people tend to be very loyal to their player. So on the night, you notice a lot of people who have been sponsoring players since year one, and they continue that through. In fact, there are still a number of people who talk to Richo because they were his player sponsor. But because of that longevity, you actually develop a relationship that goes both ways with the player. And um, that was very visible on my table where we had um, Short and Butler. Um, Butler is actually sponsored by... Um, one gentleman who lives up in Ballarat and they spent most of the time talking about things back home in Ballarat and um, they touched on football and went on to a few things, but it was like, you know, two friends catching up, talking about back home. And um, Jaden Short, one of his sponsors, um, the first question he was asking her was how some of her recent medical issues were going. And that surprised me because it was an issue that he initiated but he was obviously aware of that from past discussions. And then they went into a very deep chat about what she'd been going through, um, his thoughts on it, because they had spoken about it previously. But this is something that this sponsorship arrangement does. If you've got the money and the inclination, it actually allows you to walk through the veil if you've got the time and um, want to commit to it, because it's not just let's put my name on the player's locker and that's the extent of it. You can actually be, you know, get to know the player well and um, develop that rapport with them, hopefully for a 10 plus year career. I mean, that's really good to hear stories like that because, you know, we largely just see the guys on the field and on the training track. So to hear someone like Short, you know, take an interest in, in that lady's personal life is such a good thing to hear. Um, Sturge, what about yourself? How did you go on the night? Who did you speak to? And, um, yeah, just to reiterate what RFC was saying, you know, they had us out um, in a kind of lobby area having some drinks beforehand and you saw players were coming out of their own volition and going up to their sponsors and saying g'day and giving them a handshake and a kiss on the cheek and you know so it is um as you were saying um a lot a relationship being built between the players and the sponsors like there was a bloke on our table who I've since found out is a big footy member downtown 06 who said uh, they were Brett Deledio sponsors for a number of years, obviously in, until Brett left this season and now they've moved on to sponsoring some other players, um, Prestia, one of them. But, you know, there are people going you know, five, six, ten years sponsoring the same player. Um but in regards to my night, um, unfortunately, or well, fortunately, Basha Hooley, his wife had a baby girl earlier in the week, so he was unable to make it. And uh, Connor Manager was ill, along with a number of other players, so he didn't make it as well, which is probably, I'm thinking, why he didn't play on the weekend. So um, I ended up on a table with Oleg Markov, who is a, actually a really nice guy, and we all 
had a chat and I think unlike RFC, it seemed like my table was a lot of, um, like I had next to me the president of the Past Players Association who sponsored three players. Um, we had me from representing Big Footy and we also had uh, the cheer squad's representative on my table. So it was a bit of a different uh, vibe on our table because we had people that were representing a group of people. But um, Oleg's a really nice guy. We chatted about his... Um, his interest outside of football. We had a chat about it. he's got some tattoos on his hand and he said a few of the guys get down to uh, Jakey King's shop because he gives them a good deal on tattoos. So we had a good chat about that. We uh, had a chat to Josh Caddy who was talking about his time up forward and what got him over to Richmond and he was saying it. Um, he actually enjoys playing up forward. So uh, despite what a lot of people are saying, that he was just promised midfield minutes, and that's why he came over. He said he actually quite enjoys playing up forward. Um, and then, you know, it's good to just get up close and personal with the players. You know, before the night, the only times I'd seen kind of a Richmond player was Chris Newman walked past me when I was going to the shop at Punt Road Oval one day. And um, I used to date Greg Tivendale's cousin, so they were the only Richmond players I'd ever met before Tuesday night. So it was good to get up and have a chat to them. And I'd really, anyone, the way we run it is uh, $50 gets you a share in the uh, in a player sponsorship for, for the board. And uh, you get that $50 will get you two tickets into the prize draws. We raffle off all the prizes. So there's four prizes this year. Um, there was a barbecue after training earlier in the season. There's the player sponsor dinner. Um, and there's a tour of the facilities with your player at Punt Road Oval coming up later on. And then there's also a signed jumper that gets mailed out to the winners. So, you know, um, I would really recommend anyone that's got a spare 50 bucks or like RFC was saying, if you've got a lot of spare money, get yourself your own personal player sponsor. But if you don't get your 50 bucks in and put your, put your tickets in the, in the experiences, you know, anyone can go down to training and get a jumper signed, but stuff like the player dinner and the tour are really um, like, then they're, they're not opportunities you can get anywhere else. Uh, that sounds fantastic. And one reminder with that, um, one of the things that Chief does, which is fantastic at Big Footy, is if you do the fifty dollars, you get an upgrade. Uh, sorry, it's the hundred dollar one. You get an upgrade on your um, you get Big a, Footy account. You go to Platinum. Yeah, you so, get a gold for fifty, a gold account oh, right, for fifty, yep. and a platinum for a hundred. And the best part of that is it takes off the spam filter, which is an absolute pain in the ass. Yep, all the ads go, so it's one that even if you just want to get rid of the ads, it's a well a cheap way of giving to the club and getting rid of all those troublesome ads. So I highly recommend it. And we should and also you get a shiny badge as well. We should also thank Chief. You do get the badges, but Big Footy put in two hundred bucks for every club to help them with their player sponsors as well. So um, uh, absolutely. Oh, that's really good to hear about that. And I think I posted in the thread the other week that I'll definitely be, definitely be jumping on board next year. Um, it just, yeah, it's a great way to help contribute to, towards the club and a good way to support a player. And I think the players that we're looking after are all pretty worthy of our support um, and they're all having pretty good years thus far. Yeah, and it's, you know, good that we, we've sponsored the same. We've sponsored Basher Hawley since he's came to the club. Um, and, you know, we've, we tend to keep the same players for their stay at the club. So they do, they know what Big Footy is and they know um, what the deal is with the people coming to the things. And they're generally interested in hearing about how, you know, um, and even Oleg Markov were talking to him because we went around the table and said, you know, how do, how do you guys sponsor this person how long have you sponsored them for and even he was interested in hearing about you know that a group of people off the internet that don't know anyone that don't know each other have come together to sponsor four players between them you know it's a really good community we've got going did you happen just to slip in there that he could come onto a podcast recording at some stage I'm sure we'd probably get in trouble if we tried that. No, that's really great to hear that experience, guys. And, yeah, we definitely encourage everyone to jump on board next year because the more money we put in, the, I suppose, the more players we can sponsor. Exactly. And one um, final element that's really important on this, and it's something that Serge touched on, the players actually like this event. If you go to the um, cocktail night, 
Um, you get your signatures and all that, but you have a look at it and, you know, Delidio used to be the one most notorious for it. You could see on his face, he was quite literally counting down the minutes and the moment that they would give the signal that the players had done their minimum and they could go, I would say all bar three or four of the players would bolt out the door. They do not enjoy that night because they get hassled, they get grabbed. It's just a pain in the backside. They actually like the player sponsor nights because, yes, they have to engage with the fandom and they have to do all that. But it's done in a much more respectful way. There is that relationship and it's got a bit of give and take. So um, it's a fantastic night for any fan of um, the Tigers. That's a great insight, fellas. Thank you so much for that. We'll uh, push on to the VFL update, and we're having a pretty good year down at the VFL. Um, so Richmond defeated Werribee on the weekend by 102 points, which I was quite surprised at, given that they were only one spot below us in the ladder. But that gives us five wins in a row and puts us up in a fourth spot. The goal Richmond-listed goal kickers, we had Bolton with five, Lennon with four, Elton, Stengel, Griffiths, and Townsend with two, and Moore with one. And the Richmond-listed listed best players were Hunt, Markov, Townsend, and Corey Ellis. Um, obviously, Bolton's put his hand up to come back into the side after kicking five goals. I watched the highlight package uh, yesterday, and he, he just looks a class above VFL level. And if Rioli is carrying that injury, do we think that Bolton should be just that direct swap? I think that's a no-brainer for me. Um, Bolton, everyone, you know, you saw it once he settled very quickly, um, his spots in the AFL now outside of, you know, those maintenance sessions back in the VFL to get his composure and his um, tank back. Um, I missed the game, but it sounded like he just had a day in the park. Yeah, he was unbelievable. And it was also good to see Ben Griffiths come back. And he, he was only scheduled to play a half, but in that half, he still managed to kick two goals. He was crashing packs, uh, didn't show any sign of holding back, which is good for his confidence. So hopefully we'll see him string together another couple of good performances before he potentially makes his way back into the senior side. Uh, but Todd Elton also had a good game too, kicking two goals as well. And look, we know that he's copped a bit of crap on the board, but for me, when he was in the senior side, Okay, he wasn't kicking goals, but outside of that, he was probably doing his job pretty well. He was competing, creating contests, bringing the ball to ground if he couldn't mark it. So it's just good to see two big men having a bit of competition now for that potential spot in the side if we don't opt to go with Soldo. But I think we will stick with Soldo for the time being. Yep, agreed. Uh, and I and think, the VFL boys are – oh, sorry, go on. So I think as long as the uh... – as long as that second forward isn't kicking goals, you're better off going with the better Ruckman out of the lot. But we really, really need a second forward that can put in one or two, even three goals a game, um, and then Ruck, you know, 30 40% of the time. But if they're not going to kick goals, then we are better off, like you said, going with Soldo, who's going to be a better Ruck option. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just always going to be purely based on form. So if one of them kicks three or four in the VFL, maybe bring him in while their confidence is up and hope that they can carry it on. And the other one that I still think can play that second forward role is Lennon. I know there's a bit of doubt on his work rate, but from a marking and skill point of view, I think he fits it quite well and kind of a similar to Jack Gunston role. Very good overhead. has got a long kick and knows where the goals are, but he just needs to get, I suppose, a bit of fitness back from after being injured. But he'd be another one that could be putting his hand up soon as well. Yeah, the only problem with that issue. is he doesn't offer anything in the ruck. He'd be more a third tall forward if we were going to go back to that when we used to play Vickery, Griff and Jack in the same team. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's almost like that Brett Delidio role um, we were sort of moving um, lids into last season when it was, you know, his days in the midfield were coming to an end where he can play that um, third leading tall, so to speak. Um, the worry that I have, um, and he's definitely showing a lot at BFL, and he, had a, he also had a great day um, looking at the stats and the write-up on the board, the worry I have is he just doesn't have the pace. And when our forward line and attack is all built around speed and pace, whether he can lead enough and get enough goals and put enough forward defensive pressure in to make up for that lack of speed. Yeah, and that's the thing. It definitely couldn't be at the expense of one of the smalls. So that's where I suppose that it becomes a bit of a tricky situation for him. Yeah, well, most people, I think, if you look on the board at the moment, it's almost common to see Rioli and George 
for Lennon and um, Bolt, but that's got that big question over speed then. Yeah, we definitely would lose a bit of that frontal pressure in our forward half, which has been kind of our trademark for the year. So it's going to be um, interesting to see what they do at the selection table. But uh, the VFL boys are playing Collingwood this week, 10.20 a.m. at Punt Road on Sunday. So definitely get down and take a look before the main game. They're in red-hot form and hopefully on their way to a final series, which would be really nice. Uh, We'll move on to the preview of the GWS game. A massive game for both teams, naturally. GWS is sitting third, and we're only one game in percentage behind them in fifth spot on the ladder. And this is GWS's only home and away game at the MCG this season, which is quite staggering, really, given you know they have to play their fair share in Melbourne. Uh, and hopefully that's some kind of advantage for us. But despite... Uh, beating Sydney in most major stats last week. They smashed them in clearances inside 50s contested possession. They still lost by 13 points, so I I think it's pretty safe to say they're going to be keen to bounce back. Sturge, what are your thoughts on the game? Um, Well, from what I've read today, they've got a few key outs, like um, Jeremy Cameron, Toby Green's apparently no good. So that could work for us. And, you know, a couple of the GWS blokes have been complaining in their preview that they're depth is being tested and they don't have anyone to come in but you know that's complete rubbish they've got 300 first round picks and there's no way their depth is being tested by having a couple of outs so um you know but those those are some key outs cameron green like green is a one of the best small forwards in the competition this year and he just just for the the niggle he provides and um proves to be a real hassle and you know um, so I think you know those key outs could help us a lot, and like you said, um, the fact that they don't play a lot at the MCG and they've never beaten us at the MCG, so you know fingers crossed because these are the games we need to win if we want to not only finish in finals but finish in a decent position in finals. Agree, and RFC Tiger, your thoughts on the game? On paper. This one terrifies me because, in particular, and you mentioned their on-field brigade. You look at that midfield. And it's just, it's a blue ribbon midfield, um, assuming they get over, you know, there are no further injury scares where you go, okay, we'll get rid of Ward. And then you've got Whitfield and you've got um, Green. And, you know, the list goes on. Um, you've got Dylan Shield playing down in a forward pocket, for God's sake. Um, well, list down there, I should say. Um, they are deep and they run hard and it's almost like the list has been designed by the AFL to win a grand final, strangely enough. And then you got Patton up forward, Johnson helping out um, in that role. These guys on paper should just be destroying everyone, but it just seems the last month or so something's got into their head, whether it's the injury tolls finally beginning to wear them down or the pressure of being the front runner um, for the first time ever is really beginning to dawn on them because last year they came from the pack and they became the side that was going to challenge for the flag this year, right from you know round one, they've been the side everyone's been marking as the likely grand finalist. I'm just wondering whether the pressure's getting to them. And if you'd asked me a month ago, I'd just have a big fat texter through this one for us, but I'm actually beginning to get optimistic that this is one that we can potentially win. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Leon Cameron claimed that they were lacking a lot of intensity last week, so I'm not sure if that was just a, a way to try and fire him up for the for this week's game. But they, they they could even be getting ahead of themselves, or it could be the injuries taking its toll, like you said. But either way, it's a good time for us to strike. I mean, we need to keep ourselves in the eight as well. So if they're down in form and confidence, then we have to be at our absolute best to make sure that we get the four points. I mean, we, we can't have another close lost them like we did over there. It, we just can't. So it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of Richmond turns up. The thing I'd noted down was um, the Giants, I think, are one of the best counter-attacking sides in the game with their their players down back and their ability to intercept Mark and just quickly rebound. We have to make sure that when we're going inside 50, we can't just blaze away. We have to actually lower our eyes and hit some targets and just we can't give them that chance to, to hit us on the counter because we'll get torn apart otherwise. Well, that's the one that I'd actually marked down. The guy that I think could win or lose this for them is Heath Shaw, because especially with the way we bring that ball in, and if we have another day of the fumbles, he is just going to run a mark and just yep. keep 
rebounding that ball straight back down our throats. And um, we can't afford to be messy because they've got that halfback line, which will brutalize us. Absolutely. We'll move on to a few key matchups. Uh, Sturge, what do you think of the Alex Rance versus Jonathan Patton matchup? I think almost if um, Jeremy Cameron doesn't pull up, you can almost send Asprey to Patton and let Rance do his thing. Yeah, fair. I would agree with that. I'd actually say, um, and this is your plan A, um, Asprey on Patton to begin with and Rance to take Cameron if he's playing because um, I think Patton is a bit more traditional um, key forward and Asprey has shown, you know, um, if you'd asked me last year, I would have said no way, but he's showing that he can play with the big boys now and hold his own and, you know, he's been a solid anchor down back on some of the bigger forwards, but then it frees Rance to follow um, Cameron, who can be very damaging on the move. But fingers crossed, if Cameron doesn't um, present, then that gives us that wonderful opportunity where we get Rance um, being able to do his thing and just rove that um, back line and intercept ball and cause chaos. So fingers crossed. And um, one thing I was saying on Tuesday night to Grokodok actually was I was shocked at how small, not, not that they're small, but how how much smaller than I expected Rance and Asprey to be for how good they are. They're not, they didn't think they were that much taller than I am, and I'm not tall by any chance, but for how good they are compared to what size I expect them to be is just a real testament to how good they, especially Alex Rance, actually is at football for not being, you know, one of those giant defenders that he takes blokes like Buddy, Patton, Cameron... Um, and does an amazing job on them, and he's not the tallest man out there. He's just an exceptionally hard worker and reads the play really well. Uh, and that, and two... that's the one advantage where I think if we have to put Rance on pattern, we lose that ability for him to be that dynamic intercept player because yeah. he effectively starts having to play the one-on-one traditional muscle game, and that's where we lose Rance's biggest advantages Absolutely. Uh, these two may not necessarily play on one another directly, but they're still going to be vital for both teams respectively. Dustin Martin versus Callan Ward. RFC, what do you think is going to happen with this battle? The midfield battle could go anywhere. Um, I, I'm a really, really big fan of Ward. And um, Martin, God, he's just in fantastic form. So I... Right now, I'm a coin toss for where this one's going to go. I think the midfield, um, this is going to be a great game to watch. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of the, the best matchups for the game to watch that on. And Sturge, the last matchup we'll talk about is Jack Rewald and our second tall forward, we'll assume it's Nan Curvis, versus the GWS backline. How do you see that one playing out? Oh, the same as it's played out, you know, every week for the last six, seven weeks, um, as long as we lower our eyes and um, be sensible, you know, and it sound like a broken record almost because I swear I said the exact same thing last time I was on, but we need to be smarter coming into the forward 50. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't matter how well Jack's playing or how well a second tall's playing if we're just bombing it on top of their head and letting blokes like Heath Shaw mop up and rebound Um it's almost worth, you know, playing a tag on one of their half-back flanks to just try and negate that rebound or, you know, we need to really have our small forwards on fire and that's why I think, you know, uh, Rioli needs a rest and bring in someone that's fresh um, just to keep that speed up in that in that back line, uh, sorry, in the forward line to try and lock the ball in there for extended periods, really make them, put them under pressure. And speaking of the possible changes, is that pretty much the most obvious one we all think for this week? Is Bolton coming in for Rioli? Yeah. The other one I wouldn't mind seeing getting a game at some point is Townsend because he's getting some pretty good numbers down the VFL and he tackles extremely well. Uh-huh. So I don't. if we had to rotate another small forward or another midfield rotation, we could add him in. But I don't think we'd actually lose any forward pressure um, because he's pretty exceptional at that. But I do agree that the only likely change, assuming Rioli's a little bit 
uh, injured and sore would be Bolton. After five goals, you can't not put the kid in um, if there's if there's a spot for him. Um, the other one, maybe if Manajus was dropped because he was sick last week because he wasn't didn't deserve to be omitted on form, but we know he was sick because he didn't go to the dinner and by all accounts in the VFL he wasn't, didn't look 100%. So, you know, do you give him another week in the VFL to get back to 100%? Probably bringing him back for GWS isn't the best idea, but that could be another one that could come back in. Yeah, like we said before, it's we've got a pretty good selection headache. And I know in years gone by, our biggest weakness has been our depth. And it's just good to see that's gradually improving. And the reflection of that is the VFL team sitting fourth. So the guys playing there are getting the job done. Um, and it's nice to be able to have you know, a good selection of players who can come straight back into the seniors and play their role properly. And we're not looking like we're um, throwing them in the deep end. And it will be and, a big game for them because, to be blunt, outside of the Adelaide game, this is going to be probably the biggest contest we're going to face um, until the um, Geelong game down at Cat Park. Um, it's going to be a real measure of just how competitive we can be in September. Yeah, it's going to be – it's it's almost season-defining. I know we say that pretty much every week, but it's going to really give us a good indication of where we're at and, and how much we have bounced back and learnt from that St Kilda game a couple of weeks ago. I just don't, um, so want, to, I just don't want to see us come into round 23 against St Kilda, needing to win to make finals and having the demons of a 10-goal loss kind of in the back of their minds. No, we want to be well and truly locked into the eight before we get to that for sure. And in terms of a prediction, what what are you all? Th- well, what are you both thinking with margin? Oh, it won't be a like last time. It won't be a massive margin. You know, head probably says GWS by a couple of goals, but heart always says Richmond by a couple of goals. I get the feeling this is one where I'll be um, having my head in my hands and making sure I've got my fourth quarter beer. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a kick in it with um, two minutes to go. I think it's going to be a very close game. Yeah, I, it's hard to go past it being a, a couple of kicks either side. So it does promise to be a very good contest. And uh, just a reminder to everyone that the game is on Sunday at 10 past one at the MCG. And we're live on Foxtel from one o'clock. There's free general admission tickets available for children under 15 years, which is a great concept. And I think, as you said earlier on, Sturge, in our PM, that because it's a Sunday game, hopefully people get to go back onto the ground and have a kick again this week. Uh, Yes, I think it's an every Sunday thing, but don't quote me on that. You might have to look into it. Either way, it promises to be a big game. And as we said earlier, make sure you do get down to the VFL game at Punt Road at 20 past 10 in the morning if you if you can get there and cheer on the boys. So, Sturge, RSC Tiger, thank you for coming on to the show, guys. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for the invite. No worries at all. Until next time, go Tigers.